What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Jack of All Trades, a weekly podcast for you to digest where there will always be a special guest. I am your host, Jacqueline Renee, aka Jackie O, Black Jacks, Captain Jack Sparrow, and Trapper Die Jacks if you know me like that. So this week, it's Father's Day. And I have a special guest with me to review a quote that she shared with me some years back. And that quote is, whether you grew up with your father or not, you have daddy issues. So we're going to unpack that quote. We're going to talk about stereotypes surrounding fatherhood and especially black fatherhood. We'll talk about what we're loving about fathers in this new era. And of course, we'll talk about how we can turn those daddy issues into daddy lessons. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, this week, Jack of all trades takes on daddy lessons. So whether you grew up with your father or not, we all have daddy issues. So Let's chat about those issues and some lessons that we've learned from our fathers over the years. So this week I have a a great guest that is returning. So let me give her a chance to reintroduce herself. Hello, it's Diane. I'm back. And of course, I'm back to talk about daddy issues. (laughs) Welcome back, Diane. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. So, of course, I had to hit you up because, you know, I really have been interested in podcasting for at least six years now. And I remember at one point when I was living in Dallas, closer to you and my Dallas peeps, and we had a group and we wanted to start a podcast and we were calling it Black People Shit. (laughs) black people shit and we were we were really proud of that (laughs) i don't know why we could have come up with another name but that's what it was i don't know but in um prepping for black people shit you know i remember we were all giving out some of our favorite quotes and the quote that you shared was whether you grew up with your father or not we all have daddy issues and That shit stuck with me (laughs) ever since then because it's the truth. So it is right. So I definitely wanted to bring you back on this Father's Day weekend uh, to chat more about it. So uh, in general, though, how have you been? You know, I'm doing great. And as uh, we are just a few days away from my few seasons, my favorite season. Mm hmm. Which is summer. Summer. You're and a summer girl. You know, I'm just, I'm ready. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my birthday's a few weeks away, so I'm just, hey. I'm feeling good. Yeah. I feel like this is my season. I have, I feel like I've really mastered a natural face, makeup face for a black girl. Okay. And right now, I just am grateful for Coral Blush. Okay, coral blush. Jackie Ina says that black girls should wear coral or orange blush. I agree. And I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm having so much, because I'm back in the office now, and 
I just didn't want to go back to like a full face of makeup. And so I've been having a lot of fun playing with like just keeping a natural face and coral and orange blush is saving me. Okay. Yeah, I actually have a good orange blush from the lip bar. Shout out to the lip bar. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I believe in it 100%. Yes, I do. So I'm happy about all those things. Looking sun-kissed, being beautiful. Juneteenth is upon us, and mm-hmm. I'm excited to not commercialize it. It makes me so proud that, like, I've been celebrating Juneteenth since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't have to get into like the watermelon pickled salads <laughs> that cafeterias are selling. Understandable, right? And very true. Yeah, I I can remember. I, I feel like I've mentioned this multiple times now on the show. You know, I can remember um, knowing about Juneteenth as a kid and um, knowing about some early celebrations and... Mm-hmm just understanding you know that there is some history there but like you said it wasn't like super commercialized or anything it just felt like one of those things that you knew because you were black you know and you were connected yeah. so. so we would I remember growing up in Cleveland we would go to like um like a church and they'd have a service and they would talk about different things if we were our African attire and okay yeah they food and stuff so I I just I appreciate like the grassroots of it and I hope you know we can have a beautiful time this year right yeah and again right without feeling like corporate America has just gotten a hold of it (laughs) you know there's but the the thing is actually corporate America has gotten a hold of it I mean touche it's kind of Mm-hmm. Right, you know, it's kind of like pride. Oh my gosh, right? Between, because I mean, Father's Day is one of those things that's always been commercialized, right? Like, I mean, I feel like it just is, and we've had to deal with that for many years now. But mm-hmm. pride, you know, I feel like you had folks that were maybe a little bit more authentic to start, and and you're like, all right, like, do you? I know you, um maybe represent or advocate for the community you know a little bit more than just in june but right there's definitely those companies that are like hey girl it's june 1st rainbows all right peace out june 30th it's like unicorns but you know i won't let that take like i'm gonna still celebrate yeah i'm not gonna let that you know and my thankfully i'm very free Mm-hmm. So I don't even feel tempted to eat the Walmart Juneteenth ice cream. Right. That was a thing. But <laughs> I just, I'm like, I can still have something be pure to me and acknowledge that you're using it to your inclusion advantage. Yeah. Yeah. In the same breath, though. Right. I mean, for me, it's like, I'm just not going to buy your pride product at every freaking retailer that's out there. Like somebody will, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. some things will work. And some people are probably very used to going into different retailers these days and more retailers, you know, truly to find things, whether it's for parties or parades or whatever, but yeah, (laughs) 
I'm just like, Walmart, I'm yeah. not coming, girl, to get, you know, mm-hmm. Juneteenth, like, shackles unchanged plates from you. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that. But let me tell you, I if I run across some Juneteenth decorations from Dollar Tree, I'm going to buy it. I heard they're out there. I saw TikTok. <laughs> Now, I do agree with you. I mean, I will not buy the propaganda from Walmart and and Target. (laughs) But if I I come across something at the Dollar Tree, like, I might, if it's cute, I haven't seen anything yet, I'm just saying. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, all right. So we got a a fun, uh, fun summer ahead of us. It's just getting kicked off. So super exciting. So before we get into the topic... I do have a formal icebreaker that I wanted to make sure we talk about because this is quietly one of our favorite topics, you know, between just us girls. So, um, (laughs) the Darius Cooks saga, it continues. And, you know, for those that might not know Darius Cooks, I have mentioned him before on my, my show and he is a self-taught cook slash entrepreneur influencer slash influencer someone yeah. who has absolutely taken advantage of this digital era that we live in where social media can really push you um in whatever mm-hmm. space or profession that you decide for yourself damn the training okay um and he has kind of gone in a, a ton of different avenues, some that have ultimately wound up um, basically putting him square into that scammer, um, the definition of a scammer. And um, he's he's throwing dinner parties, you know, charging hundreds of dollars. He's also selling cookware that some folks claim is arriving broken or is not uh, the quality that he's selling it for. Um, He's selling cookbooks that people claim they're not receiving. And he also has been really abusive towards his target market, which is African-American women. Um, If we really want to get specific, you know, it's that 40 plus year old African-American woman who might, you know, have a little extra meat on her bones uh, you know, hanging out with her sister girls. Maybe she's a church girl. Uh, she's certainly a girl that, you know, believes that, you know, haters will never prosper. She might even be listening to R. Kelly on the way to the Darius Cook's dinner. But um, he absolutely leans right into that target audience and they are keeping him afloat. And he sure. is, <laughs> you know, he he relishes in that. But a lot of folks, um, media, you know, various different outlets are kind of on to him at this point um, because he makes a habit out of doxing people. Um, If someone says something inflammatory about him, he will he could possibly find their social media and blast who they are, their whereabouts, you know, who their children are. So he's got people's husbands after him. He's got um, media outlets doing segments on him. There are YouTube videos that are being made about him now. And there are definitely a ton of Facebook groups. Uh, There's folks that 
I use the hashtag Darius Crooks on Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, we have exchanged, you know, words about this because for a while it was Darius Cooks versus another self-taught cook, um, the Kitchenista. Kitchenista, mm-hmm. yes. Angela, I don't remember her last name. And, you know, it was a bit of a war because she was determined to bring him to his knees. It got to a point where everyone felt like it was obsessive, but it did kind of get the job done. So, you know, I would just love to hear what's the latest from what you understand around Darius Crooks. I mean, Cooks. And and what do you what do you see happening to him in the future? I love okay, first of all, I'm I'm I don't know if I can do this, but I have to give a shout out to um our favorite Facebook group, D platform Darius Cooks. Like <laughs> they are after him. Now I will say this. There's only one thing I don't like about it, and it's there is a significant amount of body body shaming. Oh yes, it's a terrible that group. Goes on there. There's body yeah. shaming. There's so, there's some other things too. Uh, you kind of learn as you go, but yeah, it's it's right. pretty so treacherous. If, if you go out there, you look for it. You know, go at your own risk. But definitely, you're gonna have to ignore some of the crap. However, the stuff that they investigate and pull up on him is just crazy to me. <laughs> um, since it's our icebreaker, I'll make it pretty quick. I think Darius Cooks is a crook and a scammer for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I, I made his macaroni and cheese for Thanksgiving a few years ago. <laughs> and it was horrible. <laughs> and like my mother talked to me so bad. Like, you made a new macaroni and cheese recipe for Thanksgiving? It was terrible. I'm pretty sure it was missing ingredients and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because um, he's notorious for that. Yes. I think it's it's unfortunate for your audience to be black women. And, you know, you have these five-star dining experiences where you're serving Kool-Aid out of a mason jar mm-hmm. like give people a five-star experience 100 percent, yes and I, I don't i don't like that i'm like i've seen a lot of pictures the way things are presented it just doesn't look comfortable you know you know that your main clientele are to your point 40 plus and usually plus size women right i don't want to go somewhere for dinner and the chair looks like it's going to break on me. Right. And we tend to a table. And we're tend to a table. And you're serving the food and like the Walmart basic cornyware stuff. But those tickets are two eighty nine dollars per person. Are you serious? Yes. Now, you and I have had some five-star dining experiences. Five. Together. 100%. For sure. And I'm not saying we haven't paid 200 a person for some of them. But 289 But there was a guy scraping the table like, <laughs> yes. when I make a crumb, okay? Right. They asked me if I want flat or sparkling water. Still. Still. Still, yes. 
or sparkling. Yes. There were four so, of us at the table. We could, you know, use our elbows. It was not in a home because let's be clear, a lot of these uh, dining experiences take place in local Airbnbs. Matter of fact, that's how I found out who Darius Crooks, Cooks was. You told me, hey, like, there's this guy, Darius Cooks. Oh, my gosh. He has dining experiences at the Airbnbs. Yes. But people were starting to get wind of where the dinners were and they would swarm the place the day before on the ghetto shit that they be on like why mm -hmm. so yes but continue <laughs> yeah and then um i think he is a scammer mm. for once again selling porcelain cookware from china not handcrafted from france no or no. in africa right you know pick a place right i don't right. care right but it's made in a, it's produced in a factory in China. Yeah, mass produced. Yep. And once again, you're charging $300 for an enamel Dutch oven that <laughs> somebody could spend gets 50 or 60 and it's the same quality. Yeah. It's going to wear out on I, you I at the same rate. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think he takes advantage of his audience. You know, it's like, as, as entrepreneurs, as business, as people that are putting things out there and we know who our niche market is, don't we want them to be better? Right. Right. And their experience and their, you know, and so I think he's a skimmer for those reasons. And then he, I've seen him dox people. So, right. I've watched his lives. Cause, and now at one point, I'm not gonna say I was ever part of the D hive. I always thought that was corny. But I mean, like, I was really following. I would watch his lives. He'd be on Periscope all night. Mm -hmm. And if I was bored or something, I'd sit around and watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he really you know, relishes in that social media presence. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about making great recipes and coming up with, you know, amazing, new, innovative ways to cook and to be you know in this space it really does just feel like the cooking and the meals and the quote-unquote recipes are just kind of um just like some hey by the way you know I I do a lot of things and this is one of them which is okay right shout out to right. jack of all trades right but <laughs> it, it just feels like for you to try and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with other people that are in the same exact lane as you, right? Like the kitchenista, who is another self-taught cook, but truly focuses on the art of cooking, um, really showcases the education that she has accumulated, even Absolutely. if it is self-taught, right? And sometimes, don't get me wrong, right? A little bit condescending, you know, in the approach. Um, but... Still, we know that the Kitchenista, Kitchenista is focused on providing great culinary experiences uh, through her content, her recipes, her cookbooks, um, and the dinners that she also has, right? Whereas it just feels like with Darius, apparently he's had restaurants and all of that. And it's just like, he doesn't have a ton of success with anything. 
there's no longevity well one of the things that i see with him is that he does not diversify he had why doesn't he have a social media manager right why are you answering questions in live literally i've seen him say hold on what's your order number that's his favorite line and so you know for you to have made millions of dollars you do you have a sale you you make a million dollars there's no reason that you you haven't established a budget at this point and you don't have a social media manager he for everything he's going through right now i mean in the city of atlanta they're basically trying to get him out right i mean the fox news and all these people right he's doing these reports on him they don't want him there and i'm like you should have some protection you're you're going this is a valuable lesson and this is something we should all learn sooner than later our peace is going to cost us yeah you got to pay for it yeah yeah and if we like really accept that whatever it is if you just acknowledge it ain't gonna be free yeah you're not gonna be able to like outwork it he should have people responding for him i mean they're basically saying you're doxing and then he keeps doing it right he keeps doing it he keeps showing oh look at this order number i got, got his phone and he puts his phone up on the screen for so everybody can see and then he says oh i think it did have their address you knew it had their address on it you're right yeah he keeps doing the same things um but his audience again right i feel like it's not even anything specific about that audience i feel like just like a lot of other um anybody from all the way up to a celebrity to someone like a Darius who's not a celebrity but has a following through social media they always will have some segment of fans who are, are just willing to blindly follow like oh I don't see anything oh, wrong sure. right there's success happening here you shouldn't want to put someone down who's having success you're a hater that's that's right. the long and the short of it to them so the devil is working against them. Yeah. I'm like, how about he? Do you think your friend is the devil? Exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what continues to happen. I do believe that this will be the year that something will shake. Because it sounds like even a popular YouTuber, he tries to go onto her platform and that, you know, that got shut down. It just seems like he can't really make the moves that he wants to make as much as he's trying to lean into this idea of like, oh, they keep calling me a scammer. So I'm just going to call myself one. Um, Doesn't always work that way, you know, or to your no. advantage. And every week he does a dinner and there's a table full of people. Yeah. And I'm just like, now, who the hell is still paying for this? Right. You can't. I mean, I think in the beginning, maybe it was cool to see him do those interesting things with fried chicken and mashed potatoes and turn it into a cake and all that. But right now, like, are you even still interested in that? Exactly. Nothing has changed about it. Right. I don't want those, like, soul food fusion, new age presentations. Like, I don't want, like, fried chicken and collard green tacos, you know? 
So okay, but the velvet taco, my favorite taco at the at velvet taco to the tikka masala. Oh my god! You said it's oh. the tikka masala. Yes, I love that taco. Like the curry mm. and the corn tortilla. Mm. Mm, okay, I haven't had that one. All right. Well, we've been on Darius too long, but you know, I'm sure there'll yeah. be more to come. Maybe we're speaking something new into into existence, right? Like get get right, Darius, or get out of the way. Get you know, get get out of here. So or and really if you don't get out of the way or get get out of here, he does need to go underground for a little while mm-hmm. and let some of this die down. Yes, right? Stop feeding so. into it. Yeah. Because you're not going to out-petty, you know, everybody else. Like, you're going to drive yourself kind of miserable doing that. And it looks really bad. It doesn't look good, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. All right. So, on to our main topic. (laughs) Right? Daddy lessons. Okay. So, my first question that I have for you is... Can we just start by revisiting the quote that you shared? Whether you grew up with your father or not, we all have daddy issues. Let's just talk about where that quote came from and, you know, how you feel like it is actually true in this life. Right. So a good friend of mine, um, we both, like, went to high school in South Florida together and um, she and I were living in Texas together and we were just talking, right? We love our fathers. Our fathers were very present in our lives. And, um, you know, here we are adults. We've known each other since we were teenagers Mm -hmm. and we both just kind of were talking and we, we, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, well, Maybe, you know, we don't know that experience of not having your father in your life, but we knew it. And it was like, we just, we were having this conversation one day and it just came out of nowhere. Like, whether, whether you had your father or you didn't, you have daddy issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not to disrespect our fathers or to discredit the things that they did for us right it's just that there were some impacts that translate a certain way and experiences and the way they handle things you know um that that caused you to kind of as you as an adult say look no wonder i'm letting this guy talk to me like this or (laughs) i'm allowing this experience Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's where that came from yeah I mean, like I said, it always resonated with me because I agree, like society is so quick, especially, you know, amongst black people, we're very quick to be like, oh, you know, no fathers in the home. Where are the fathers in the home? But sometimes daddy be at home (laughs) and coming up with different people, right? Different parental figures, different father figures can essentially you know, ingrain different modes of operating in different people, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can have your father there every day of your life, but if he is overbearing and doesn't give you any freedom, you're probably going to crave the freedom. If he's there, but you don't feel like he's paying you any attention, you might crave his attention. 
And you might do things to rebel, you know. Thank like- you. Right. You might try to rebel, <laughs> um, you know, from what's going on at home and the rules and and all of that. Like you just it doesn't matter. Like, obviously, like we said, my dad, I grew up with him. He's there. So, no, I don't understand. Right. Let's make this clear early on. Like we both grew up with our dads. But so and and as a result of that, we can't necessarily identify Mm -hmm. with what it's like for for a father to not be there. But it does feel like it's just too easy to say no father in the home. This is why this person is X, Y, Z. But what happens when somebody grew up with a daddy and they still aren't perfect? Right. Or they still aren't what we think they should be so and you know that that's really it right and i think that's one of the hard parts because we really think about what it is like why do we even feel like okay your dad was there and you have these daddy issues well you know there is this desire especially from a father to a daughter i can't speak like a father-son perspective you know but what i know is that my dad did have a very um, high expectation and you know he ex- I mean he wouldn't say he expected perfection but that's what it translated to me so his actions his behaviors really said I want perfection and so when I was not able to attain perfection I mean honestly you know I would do sneaky things I would do things to try to get that get to that and so for me, it was always that striving for something more, you know, it was like wanting to make sure that I felt like he was proud of me and that I hadn't disappointed him. Like the idea, the, the idea of disappointing my father was just like something I could not handle. Where in the weird part about it is my mother, who is actually like type A, super anal, OCD, you know, graduated valedictorian, like always the top of her class. Okay. And for for her, she had high expectations. She was an educator. She had high damn expectations. And I didn't care about disappointing her. It, it was a different <laughs> thing. Like we had a different dynamic. And, if I disappointed her, I just knew she was going to cuss me out till we got home and she was still going to cook me dinner. Right. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I can remember being like five years old and my parents got our wood floors waxed and I dragged the ottoman across the floor and it left a scratch. And I just remember being so afraid, you know, of how my dad was going to react. Not that I felt like I was going to, you know, get turned upside down and get a beating. But it is that feeling mm-hmm. of like, I I didn't want to disappoint. Right. I didn't want to do anything out of turn. So. Right. So, right. Yeah. From a very early age. But, you know, that kind of leads me into my next question. How did you perceive your dad in your earliest memories? You know, how did you get to a place where you didn't want to disappoint him? Uh, you know, so the best part about my dad, my dad is so cool. He's like, he fine. Everybody always say he looks like Gerald LeVert, you know? So he's just like laid back, <laughs> chill, <laughs> got a beard, black man from New Jersey that wears cowboy boots. <laughs> I mean, he's got his own swag. I was born in love with him. Mm-hmm. 
like my mom says you know if he was going somewhere i had to ride so like i remember being at the barbershop with him at like three or four and going to the junkyard and looking for parts because we would always have raggedy cars back then you know we were always looking for parts for my godfather to fix the car and like i was rolling with my dad like i want my dad he just has swag so I, you know it's funny because we've had these periods like even when we weren't getting along in our relationship i still always like really admire my dad but i think one of the things that started to create maybe a bit of that distorted view was around like eight or nine my father um was called to be a minister and so mm-hmm. then he became like a preacher and so like there was a bit of a shift in the dynamic in our family um you know like he was he was all in and okay. he you know still is but so then there was this really high expectation for not only like for me to perform, you know, academically and, you know, through my, with my sports, but it was also expected, you know, like I was going to be a good Christian girl. And right. so oh that my put gosh. a lot of um, pressure on me from a very early age. You know, it was always like, you, like if my parents wanted to threaten me, they would say, you know, God says, obey your parents or your mother, or they'll, they'll strike you down. You know, so like early on, they weren't like, I mean, I, I don't want to make it seem like my parents were definitely like, you know, cultish or anything, but they were definitely, they believed that a child should obey their parents. And that was the structure of, of our family. Right. Yep. And my dad was definitely the head of the house. Um, that was very clear to us um, very early that he was the head of the house. So, you know, we would have to get final say from him for pretty much everything. And so all of those things together, I would say by my teen, middle, you know, middle school teen years, I was, I had a probably a, that's where my distorted views came from. And then we, that's where we started to have some problems too. <laughs> so funny I feel like I can relate for sure you know um my earliest memories with my dad you know he was in the military so we didn't get to see him every day you know at least when I was really little he was still active military so he would have to spend weeks Mm -hmm. on the military base and we did not live on base anymore you know by the time you know my memories are forming so you know, it was like, oh, you could see him. And then maybe there'd be like two weeks where he wasn't around. And then you come back, something like that. And I just always remember he was like super strong because he could like, you know, lift me and my brother on his biceps. And, you know, that was always fun. And um, yeah. yeah, right. And I just remember him being family oriented, you know, from early on, even though I wouldn't describe it in that way, of course, as a little kid, but I knew that on the weekends, on Sundays, we were going to my granny's house for dinner, right? Or we were going to spend time with family mm-hmm. on a very consistent basis. So we were, were often with family, but again, military. So very, you know, strict, right? I feel like I've talked about that a million times on here at this point, but mm-hmm. definitely very strict. We had to have a routine. There was a lot of discipline You know, you couldn't do things that were out of turn. You couldn't break any rules or you would be on punishment. You know, there was consequences for your actions. And, 
you know, like you said, I he was the um, head of household. And I think the more I understood that as head of household, he had the final say, no matter how much my mom might be willing to say yes, the, you know, the combined answer <laughs> from the parents might still be no. And might still be no. Right. And I, a hundred percent, like the older you get, the more you're like, I'm not with that shit. <laughs> right. So you find yourself doing sneaky shit. I'm like, how can I get around <laughs> these rules, this? right? You yes. know, that was mine because I couldn't. Now, my sisters are have their own dynamic with my father, which I will not speak on today. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. Um, my youngest sister, I don't know if it's just because she's like cute and like, you know, the Tinkerbell of our lives or because she's the baby. I'm not sure. But she can pretty much get away. So she can get away with anything. But I never <laughs> had that option, that flexibility. Like, no. like and even now, she's like, oh, I'll just tell him. Right, which, and like, must so, be nice. Yes, must be nice. So it, it's, it does change a little bit. But I think we all had a, you know, we, we grew up with the same dad, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, that was my next question, like, how has your relationship evolved over the years? So what was it like getting through your teenage years and then like into adulthood with your dad? So my teenage years were cool because, you know, my dad was like right there. He was, you know, in our youth minister. And so he was always like at everything I was at because, of course, I was going to that stuff. So teenage years, it's like all good. I got my friends. I got my crew. I'm doing this thing. And so that was fine. But let me tell you, I went to college the day after I graduated from high school. Oh, wow. And I remember, yeah, I remember being on the plane and I was like, oh, I'm free. I'm free. I don't have to answer to anybody. Ooh, and you could tell the girls that went to college and knew they was free oh. from their daddy. Let me tell you something. I I was getting hangovers on Boone's Farm, okay? Because we didn't have no money. And I was not 18. I wasn't even 18. I was 17. And we were, I mean, somehow I was getting Boone's Farm. And I mean, I had hangovers like hell that summer, but I was free for the first. And I, and, and it, let me back up a little bit because um, when it was time for me to go to college, I was very thoughtful in my decisions. So I will say I did not apply to any of the schools. I did not apply to FAMU. I did not apply to Bethune. I mean, I wouldn't apply to I didn't apply to any Florida schools <laughs> because I didn't want to go anywhere where people were going to associate me with my last name. Right. Oh, that's pastor. And the irony daughter. Is, yep. I ended up going to their alma mater. Okay. My parents met at Alabama A&M and I ended up going there, but that was far away. Okay. Let's go Bulldogs. And I had, yeah, I had no intentions of ever going to any schools in Florida. I would not, like they thought, they were like, look, you can, you know, you can get full scholarship. Like everybody else is going to Florida schools. I was like, Mm-mm. and I, I didn't, I didn't have the heart 
you know, because I'm, I, I am a, you know, I'm a, I'm a lover, so I don't want to hurt, I ain't want to hurt their feelings like that. I'm trying to get the hell away from you, but I, met, I meant that in my soul from before I even graduated. I was like, I am getting <laughs> out of here. I need some freedom. Oh, I know that's and right. And then that was the beginning of our rough years. Yeah. From the time that I emancipated myself and would no longer succumb to his rule. Ooh, ooh. He cussed me out so many times. Let me tell you something. I, <laughs> I would never have done what Carry On did, but I could have exposed my daddy so bad. Who was Carry On? Kirk Franklin's son, when he released that, oh, yeah. that video of him cussing him out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I could I could have screwed my daddy up. I'm like that man. We went to blows. We when I decided like because at that point, 18, you can you can't control me, you can't control my body, and you can't control my mind or my decisions. Now, right. I was able to live independently without any assistance because I you know have full scholarship and I've always been a hustler. I've always worked so. I was making money in undergrad, you know, that was no thing. So I was able to really live independently for quite a while. I mean, aside from my mom buying all my clothes and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, like, I ain't need them to send me no check, none of that. But then I lost my scholarship. Oh, so no. I remember having to call home and be like, okay, I need some help. Oh, he cussed Lord. me out then. He was like, oh, really? How you lose your scholarship? <laughs> being grown child probably expressing my daddy issues because i was over there loving every brick dick (laughs) (laughs) oh my god oh and that's interesting as well because i for years said i liked my men big and black that was my thing and my father i described as big and black so that was always like one thing that was really weird. I mean, I dated a lot of guys that looked like my daddy when he was young, you know, big fluffy Rick Ross beard. <laughs> so I was the boss, the boss, right? So I was, you know, just being grown and fast, and like I did have to call home and get some and get some help. And I remember, you know, he helped me. He did, but. One of the things that that's where, once again, this is the beginning of our real struggles was that he helped me at that moment and he had my back. He was like, I got your back. We'll figure this out. We're going to help you get through this. And, you know, my dad has always been like a major protector. You know, I, I knew early on, I don't call my dad for just anything. I'm, you know, I know some girls, you know, they argue with somebody, they call their daddy, not me, because my daddy gonna blow your brains out when you get here. You don't play about me, you know? (laughs) Okay. So I knew early, like, I don't call my dad just to, like, fluff around. Like, when I call my dad, like, we going hard. And, um, so during that time, he had my back, but shortly after, he kind of used it in a way I didn't like. Okay. And so that that felt like uh, mental manipulation to me. And, mm-hmm. and so then we, we really did not see eye to eye until I was about 26 or 27. He would yeah. have my back. He would, 
he'd still wash my car. Okay, he'd, he'd wash my car on Sunday. Every Sunday, when I would go to my parents' house, he'd wash my car. Um, I had that Volkswagen Beetle, and the front was real low, so I would always rip it off on like curbs and stuff. Right. I don't know what it was about cars at a certain and, point. They were all low, and you, they were all getting ripped up. <laughs> and he hated. He hated. He hated for your car. He hated for your car not to look nice. And so he would wash my car, and then every week he'd tack it up and weave it up that car has so many like contraptions that my daddy did to hook up in there if it wasn't running nice he's you know so he still did those things for me but we definitely didn't sit down eye to eye it was a very uh our relationship was very very prickly for that time period because i could not be honest with him about how he made me feel and um and i couldn't express it in any way and i saw it coming out of my relationships because I couldn't tell him this is exactly how you make me feel and I was doing I was basically doing that same thing in the relationships that I was in um in both my friendships and romantic relationships just not really communicating yeah yeah you know and that's how we kind of got to that you know it, it needed to happen um, I still struggle with communication. I still, to this day, yep. struggle with being honest and direct uh, because because it was a very uh, particular. Uh, I always think of it like um, what's that game? Like a landmine game or minefield? You know, minesweeper. You really don't mind. Yes, yeah. you don't know where you're gonna step. That's how it felt to me for a while. Right and. Hey, I feel like I am a master minesweeper, you know, player. And it's it only becomes easy to play the game once you really can master where the mines are, which, again, it takes so much time to figure that out. Right. So kind of relating it back to your relationship with your father um, it, it takes so many years to get to a place where it's like, all right, I can say this to my father and things will be okay. Or I said this, or I did that, that didn't work out though. You know, the mind exploded. So I got to course correct when I restart, you know, the, the game. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I think my, my relationship evolves similarly, you know, went away to college and definitely felt that freedom going to FAMU. I was, very far away from home you know so even you kind of you know barely got out of the state but still what 10 12 hours away so I definitely felt that the distance right allowed me some freedom as well but I can 100% agree like not being able to communicate how I really felt for many years and walking on eggshells sometimes it felt like when when having mm-hmm. conversations and trying to communicate i think that showed up a lot in a lot of the relationships slash situationships you know that i've had or friendships as well right i you know the way right. we communicate with others stems from how we communicate at home for sure so mm-hmm. so yeah i think it kind of went from strict upbringing to i want this freedom in college And I think I can do and say what I want, but quickly learned, you know, okay, sure. When you're out in the world, you're making your own decisions, but 
no matter what, when communicating back home, like there's still a certain level of decorum that you're going to have to carry, you know, and portray. You're not going to be talking to your parents, especially your father, any type of way. And you're not going to question things just because you're out of the house now. Um, I didn't have to ask for too much help. I don't know if they would see it that way, but you know, I feel like my parents, you know, maybe they sent me like a hundred dollars, you know, a week or <laughs> every other week. I don't know. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Right. And that kind of got you through with a couple of meals here and there outside of your meal plan. And if you really felt like you want to go get an outfit, like that was your few dollars to do it with. Um, but yeah, I think my dad wanted me to just be mindful, you know, of how I was moving through the world, you know, in college and, and, um, how I was kind of shaping my habits as an adult, you know, especially when it came to drinking and partying and, and those types of things. And, you know, I don't know if he was able to, <laughs> to do it in a way to his satisfaction because it did take me a long time. You know, I feel like to come around and, you know, do things in the, the most responsible way, but but yeah, it, there were definitely growing pains, you know, where you're like, I'm an adult, I can do what I want, I'm grown too, but you're still a child, you know, to to your father and what he says, he still probably wants that to be like the go-to way that you'll do things. But, you know, as you're growing up and learning how to do things in your own way, sometimes you chart a different path. But I think in a lot of cases, I would look back and be like, oh, this is why he said the things that he would say when I was growing up, you know? So, so yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting when you say that because um, I, uh, I remember freshman year, I got, I was going to the tattoo shop. My friends and I had all decided we were going to go get tattoos. And, um, didn't we for all? your audience that's never seen me before, I am a melanated, beautiful black woman. Yes, beautiful black woman. And I want a Tweety Bird tattoo on my thigh. <laughs> it was so trashy. <laughs> and this very and, South and Florida. one of my other friends who was like definitely a much lighter than me. She wanted Tweety Bird as well. The guy was like, absolutely, it's going to look great. When I said I wanted it, he was like, no. Right. Girl, we going <laughs> to... Another topic for another Anything day. But, right, we'll we'll talk about these tattoo artists that don't want to... That don't know how to do colorful tattoos on black skin. But go ahead. Right, right. Well, thankfully, he didn't mess it up, right? So instead, I decide I'm going to get a tongue ring. <laughs> So this is so because classic. I'm not, like I'm not leaving there with nothing. Right. <laughs> this is like so. peak late nineties, <laughs> early, early two thousands. Like from ninety seven to oh six, all the girls were either getting a tattoo, a tongue ring, a belly ring, or all of the above. You're absolutely right. This is probably like two thousand. Or 99. This is 99 for sure. So I'm like, I'm getting a tongue ring. And 
Um, so I get the tongue ring. My tongue swells up immediately to the roof of my mouth. Immediately, I had child. to eat popsicles for the rest of the weekend. I'll never forget that. But anyway, that's another story for another podcast. Because <laughs> I got a tongue ring too. So I remember like that immediate swelling. Like I remember other like, classmates Ooh. like, uh, I got what you got. Uh. Can't talk for shit. <laughs> you can't talk for shit. I wanted everybody to see it. It was horrible. So I rock it. And I remember my my parents, like I said, they went to A&M. So their best friends were around. You know, like I went, my roommate is one of their best, is, her parents are my parents' best friends. Right. right? So Y'all legacy kids in a dorm. To, yeah. Exactly. So they come up for like a football game or basketball game, something. They come up for a game and they take us out to dinner. And I remember her mom was like, girl, your mom and dad going to kill you. Because <laughs> now it's heel. And I'm clicking it around in my mouth. Like, I used to love that sound of it. Oh, yeah. Of my... <laughs> oh, my it. God. You know, I'm Yes, flipping it. I always had that bill in between, like your t- your yes. four teeth. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Shout out to the tongue rings. Oh my gosh! And so a few weeks later, my parents come get me because now it's the end of the semester. Like school's over. It's time to go home for summer. They come get me, and. I hide it from Huntsville to a Waffle House somewhere in Georgia. <laughs> That's as far as you made it. <laughs> <laughs> Who found out first, your mama or your daddy? Oh my God, my mom, she's so cool. My mom is my number one, okay? For Mother's Day next year, please invite me because I got tons of Yes, right? Me. We got to do moms next year. So, right, so... Moms didn't say nothing. She was like, I see you, motherfucker. You know, she gave me that look. She pointed her fingers. And she didn't say nothing, but she got real tense. And you know, my, my mom is an educator. So anybody that, that know and love educators, when they not happy, it's like they, they muscles get real tight. Okay. <laughs> so you can just see she is staunch. She's pissed. Okay, right? so yeah. She nothing. She's waiting to get me in the bathroom. And my dad looks at me. And he's like, what's in your mouth? Child. And I was like, oh, I got a tongue ring. You said it like that, like, oh, you ain't know? I, I, right, like, I was like, I did this, because all you need to be is 18, and I was 18, so I did it. And he's like, <laughs> he's going to kill me for telling the story. He's like, take that shit out your mouth. <laughs> no. We're in the Waffle House. No, no. I was like, I paid for this. This cost fifty five dollars. I, I, that was a lot of money to me. A hundred percent. Yes. No, I will not take this out. He's like, you can't get back in the car until it's out. He was like, you will not ride to Florida with that. I was like, well, I rode here with it, and I was like, you want to control me? And at the time, you know, I really like, I, and I still do believe that he did want to control me, my actions in that way, you know. Yeah. And because he didn't know what that meant. And, and it did have these weird res- results, right? Like, there's this man that was in our church. And literally, 
until like I saw him a year ago and he was like, You still got that thing in your mouth? So yeah, so... like it did cause people to really talk about it or whatever. But like, you know, I was just like that, it is my body, it's my choice. I pay for it. It didn't come out of your money. You cannot take it. And so he literally he would not let me in that van. And we're in Georgia. He's like, no. My mom is like, let her in. You know, finally, I had to agree to take it out. And so I took it out. And I think I took it out for like an hour of the trip. And then I went to sleep and I was like, I'm putting it back in. So you know what I did? I put it back in and I took the bottom ball off. Because this is me and rebelling. And I'm like, I will, um, whenever he says something about it, I'll just click it out. So I did that the whole way home. By the time I got home, the bottom of my mouth was all raw, but I didn't care. Like, you're gonna just, you're gonna ruin my, I'm not getting this again. I damn sure am not getting another tongue ring. So you will not, this will not close up on my watch because you're mad. And that was really consistent. Just always trying to control how things went. And I did not like that. And even now in my relationship, and in other relationships, I need freedom. You know, one of the most loving things that anyone could have said to me was like, you know, I love you freely. Like, do your thing. I know yeah. you need to let your your wings be free. And and that that's like actually was healing for me as an adult to, to find someone who was like, I'm willing to love you um, in your freedom, whatever that looks like for you. Because I can't feel the, the sense of control. Like, I can't feel like... I can't, I'm in any relationship right now where I'm being controlled. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Yeah. I, you know what I was going to say? You should have, did you not get the little clear post that you could put in your mouth? Uh, your mouth, put okay, in your so, mouth. It was like just a no, clear rod and a flat, like it was almost like a little tabletop flat piece on the top. And a screw on the bottom so you could keep your hole, right? Your tongue ring hole without people seeing like a bar. I definitely had one of those no, for a I long time. Yeah. <laughs> now you're making me feel like I should get another one. I was... You know, it's funny because I thought about that. I'm like, well, hell, I've done it once. But I, at this point, I probably would just go ahead and die if I got that because my tongue swelled up so fast. <laughs> Shit was wild, wasn't it? Like, God damn. Your tongue was like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing with me. (laughs) (laughs) Right away, child. And then I remember having to use like, what was it, biotin? Yes, you had to use that special uh, mouthwash with the peroxide in it. It was Mm -hmm, just not. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But no, next thing I'm going to pierce, which my dad will definitely hate. Um, But now we have a different relationship because I can express to him, like, I don't care that you hate it. And then he just will express once or twice that he hates it instead of like beating it around the bush. And I think that's a nice compromise. But I'm going to pierce up my ears. All the way up to the cartilage. Yeah, I'm going to have some fun doing that. Yeah, that'll be cool. Right? That's not a big deal anymore, at least. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, I can I can remember those same things, which is so funny. Like, I got a tattoo when I was 18. I got a tongue ring. And I guess, you know, I'll give my dad some credit. I don't feel like he tried to control those things. Um, He was always honest about being like, uh, kind of expressing that it was not his thing and that it was a little, you know, weird or awkward to him. But 
-hmm. I, I don't feel like he, you know, really took a big issue with those things. Um, especially because I wasn't living with them full time anymore, but you know, I can, I can just still remember though, like visiting as a young adult and feeling like I could do what I wanted to do, whether that was staying out late or going to link up with friends, um, and, you know, just not really act like I had to come back to my parents' house when all was said and done. And yeah, he just wasn't with that. And in some cases, just based off of how he expressed himself, I think part of it was just kind of maybe just feeling, you know, just a little hurt that I wasn't interested in spending more time with parent with my family in general when I was visiting, you know, from college or whatever, or wherever I might have been living at the time. But it, it certainly kind of manifested as just what felt like more discipline right like more rules like if you're staying here you can't stay out past a certain hour or you can't use my car right but again like it's it's him trying to convey you know how he would like for me to behave out in the world and for me I just received it as him trying to tell me what to do <laughs> you know even into right. adulthood and so to me, it's like, no, you can't control what I want to do. When in hindsight, it's like, mm, no, he probably was just trying to to show you like what was what was the best type of, you know, decorum or behavior to exhibit. But it's hard, you know, to accept it as that when you're just going through the growing pains and you want to live your life as you, you know, you see fit. So. Yeah, and you know, I think there's an opportunity to evolve. 100%. Because yeah. we are both like really, you know, beautiful people. I can't speak for yourself, but for me, I've spent a significant amount of time, and we've talked about this, I've spent a significant amount of time in therapy. I think it's one of the most, the healthiest, most beautiful self, act of self-care we can do. You know, yes, um, I recently have to have get therapy. a new therapist. Right. I'm going to have to get a new one, too. I said everybody can use a little therapy and I'm going to be moving very, very soon. So I'm going to have to get a new one, too. Yeah. So my, my therapist retired. And uh, so I found a new one. And when I got there, she said, so what, what are we working on? And I was like, dude, you know, I just have committed to myself that. I'm going to sit on this couch and just talk about stuff and do not let it build up or fester inside of me. And there's some things that I've seen in family members or other people that I don't want to exhibit in my own life. And so I've worked through a lot of things in therapy. I think that's so important. Like, but I do think that, you know, my father, for sure, one of the things that I desire from him was just for us to have like, 360 communication i just mm -hmm. wanted an explanation you know i'm i'm a why person i'm i'm a project manager i want to know why i really want an answer to all the questions who what when where how and why like <laughs> right. i need yeah, how much <laughs> that and exactly and then not only that but you should be prepared for me to and now i'm not like I don't need to ask like three layers of questions, but I want an initial question and a secondary one for sure since I was a little girl. And I always felt I, think I didn't get that. And so for me, one of the things that I think we could have definitely improved and what did 
improve as I got older because I demanded it was just a more open, honest communication. If you're not yeah. happy about something, just tell me that. Don't act out. Right. Yep. 100%. So, all right. Kind of shifting away from our, our personal relationships with fathers. So let's chat. Let's, let's chat about those stereotypes that are out there um, about black fathers not being in our home. So, you know, I'll just open up and, and say right out front, I, I guess what I need to do. And I, cause what part of me wanted to lead with, Oh, you know, I don't know if I really experienced that that much. And I feel like I have to acknowledge, even with me being my black ass, you know, self, a woman, you know, <laughs> under height overweight right all of the all of the things that make me not have white man privilege I know I still Mm -hmm. sit very much in a place of privilege to not be you know not have a first-hand experience with not living with my father number one and not only that but just not even being around it like I this my experience was not an exception to the rule I grew up around a lot of people that all lived with their black fathers. So, you know, the stereotypes around not having black fathers in the home. It's not that I didn't understand them because I still knew people that didn't grow up with their dads. It's not like a myth, but it also I don't think I, I did sometimes feel like it was exaggerated. So what was it like growing up for you? Like, did you feel like you're an exception to the rule or were there a lot of people around that also grew up with their fathers, right? Especially in South Florida where there's a huge black population. And, and what was it like if you did feel like you saw a lot of people that were growing up without their dads? So I um, grew up at pretty much all of my friends grew up with their mom and dad. They grew up with their fathers very much in their lives. Um, Some more active than others, but, you know, I'm talking like every day they live with their dad. Like, you know, they're involved and engaged with their dad. But my parents for years had foster kids. Really? Okay. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we encounter, and not only foster kids, but my dad was a you know an urban black youth minister, right? Uh, my mom taught in black schools, so I was always surrounded by a lot of people from a lot of different avenues. And um, you know, what's weird is I guess back then I didn't think about it as anything. I mean, I would have, like, I knew, you know, one of my friends, I remember her saying, like, she really wanted her dad to come to her 15th birthday party. It was a big deal. Like, you know, she was hoping he was going to come. He lived, like, in New Jersey. She hadn't seen him in years. And now, and this is such a foreign thing for me because you got to think, my dad, okay, by the time I get to high school, I'm going to high school where my mom teaches. And so I go with her. But up until then, my dad, from like the very first day of kindergarten until I went to high school, took me to school every day. Yeah, my dad took us to school when I was really young too. Yeah. 
Uh huh. So I I didn't know what that was like. You're saying like years. So I rem- and I remember when he didn't come. It was very disappointing for her. Um. So I did see it from that angle. People around me who really struggled with if their dad was going to show up, if he was going to bring the money that he said he would bring. If, you know, like when we were planning for prom or homecomings and things like that. You know, oh such and such doesn't know she can get her nails done because her dad said he was going to bring the money and he hasn't brought it you know and so I saw that from you know very up close and then you know when um as my friends have had kids I've also seen what some different relationships with dad looks dads look like as well and Mm -hmm. dads who aren't around and you know I think it's easy to say you you're gonna if your dad wasn't around you're gonna crave some male attention um a friend of mine who adopted her daughter uh i remember she was her daughter she got her daughter when she was like 12 months old or something so she had her for a long time and uh she would always ask where her father was from three or four years old and they would always say her dad was jesus now come on and i didn't like that i don't like that either (laughs) oh my god come on now yeah i I remember about three or four she would always want to know you know who's my daddy where's my daddy because it was weird to her because my friend doesn't wasn't married at the time and you know and so it was it was really hard for her and i don't think they really handled that well so i see that there seem to be relationships where you know, when the when the father is not engaged or involved, you know, that there seem to be some gaps. And I often think about what about in queer relationships where, you know, maybe the father is, you know, or the specif- the the everything happened through like a sperm donor or something like that. So there isn't someone you can relate to. I wonder what the dynamic is in those relationships. I don't really know, but mm-hmm. um, you know, for the people that I do know, there was who did struggle with that. You know, there was always a moment of like really disappoint, like real disappointment. You know, and like you know, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. You know, and that's not something I had to worry about. You and so I, you know, that's just what I that's what I've seen and that's what I saw growing up. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I saw a lot of the same. Um, you know, just moments, right, where where folks were hoping that their fathers showed up, right? <laughs> long and mm-hmm. long and short of it, whether it was showing up uh, physically or financially or through emotional support, um, just just a lot of moments where it felt like there were some disappointments, and then that turns into a longing to fill that void. Or fill that gap in their lives. And, you know, I, I it's so funny because I don't know, maybe it's a good thing, but I really don't recall, you know, those things or those characteristics that made people come off like, you know, they had daddy issues, quote unquote, back in the day. Because I do feel like the stereotypes were that much worse when we were growing up. And maybe coming out of a school environment makes things different you know and if I still had to like 
teach or if I was still, you know, a student or still was around a lot of young kids, Mm -hmm. I would see it more. But it definitely felt like back in the day, you know, if you were a kid who wasn't growing up with their father, it was like if you did anything that was wrong or out of character or too much, it was like, oh, it's because your daddy ain't Mm -hmm. around. And as much as there might be some validity to that, like there are people that have their fathers around who would do things that were just as wrong or, you know, silly or miscalculated, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Um, But, you know, I think that in American society in general, the the general sentiment of fathers not being in the home they have kind of run that you know into the ground and and I think it's for the best at this point you know in the past 10 years let's call it we've really been able to kind of debunk that and let's be clear if fathers weren't in the home for the 10 to 20 years before that it was probably because of mass incarceration but we won't go down that road uh tonight but um but yeah well but you know i do think there's one thing i want to call out here one of the things that um i think we have to think about there's mass incarceration but then there was this like I don't think we've given men and black men in particular enough space to be emotional and to express themselves. And so we're just starting to see that. We're just starting to tip the iceberg there. But I think like there there was a generational thing going on because I, I don't know about in your experience, but I know that my father was fighting against generational curses with mm-hmm. his intention to have a family and be there and be engaged, you know, and and I see that like a lot. There's a lot of people who, you know, that first generation, they're doing the best they can. Right. And then you, to your point, you've got, you've got drugs that are being pumped in our community. You've got, I mean, we, we not even talking about like racial profiling when it comes to employment and then mass incarceration. Like we're just not giving, we have not historically given the black man a fair shake. And um, I think as we move forward, we've got to think about what is, what is the new generation doing? how are they stepping up in a different way and um you know and how are they showing up for their families in a in a different more consistent way so um, yeah so that's actually my next question so what's something that impresses you about today's new or newer fathers it is the So two things, it's the level of emotions that they Mm -hmm. allow their children to show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed by that. Um, I think we need to be raising more emotionally intelligent children. And, you know, I just see, and a lot of what I see is 
through social media because I just don't have a lot of kids in my life right now. But even my cousins and uncles and that are fathers, you know, and they're just like really allowing their kids to cry or to be, you know, really like not conforming to gender roles when it comes mm-hmm. to emotions yeah. and abilities. And so I love seeing that. I love seeing the affection that um, I see fathers showing their children right now, um, especially publicly. Like, you know, I think it's important that we kiss our kids and that we love on them and that we we give them all the love we can, you know. And so I really love uh, just seeing how affectionate so many of these fathers are with their kids. Yeah, I think that's a good, a good point. Um, I just like seeing the involvement right the the level of engagement it's not just um oh well I work and I have kids and you know I pay the bills and their mother takes care of them so we must be good right it 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 truly Uh feels like there's a deeper level of involvement which I feel like I experienced because you know as I've talked about on here before like my parents work two different shifts so you know there was a lot of of I think um, parody, if that's the right word, um, in the responsibilities mm-hmm. and, and how they showed up. So I think it's nice to see that in this day and age, it's not just driven by uh, work scheduling. Like dad could work a nine to five, just like mom, but there's just, se- right. there seems to be much more involvement and engagement in, in what's going on with the kids. Um, I mean, there's there's certainly those personal um things that i see on social media through friends but even with celebs like if we're being honest you know in in 92 let's call it you know it i feel like that was kind of peak fathers aren't in the home time and so you had a lot of artists a lot of rappers singers whoever that really didn't pride Mm -hmm. themselves on being fathers and they didn't right right? it wasn't at the forefront of who they were and now it's like if you are an artist and you are not taking care of your kids like they're gonna call you out about it number one but number two it just makes it look like like what's up with you right like who do you think you are because everybody from two chains and beyond is there for their children you know and very proud to be a father like Snoop Dogg you know there's so many artists who I think in a different era it would have been okay for them to not lead with fatherhood for sure and now it's like they are not afraid to showcase that hey their kids and their families are number one and and honestly, like in this society, especially in American society, like that's that's what we need in our communities. Like we need parents being in kids lives as much as they can be. And then right. we need a better education system or the best version of education mm-hmm. that we can get so that kids come from homes where they feel nurtured and then they feel like they're learning something. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I definitely am impressed by you know by the new dads (laughs) and 
the the 2000s or the 2020s fathers where yeah they don't just like have kids and you know show up occasionally like they are they are truly active dads and you know I'm thinking of the guy that posted it was probably two weeks ago maybe three weeks ago and he has like 30 children and he tried and he's like a truck driver and you know so these kids live across multiple states and he's trying to justify how he's in all of their lives and you know a lot of people were rightfully so in my opinion chastising him because it's like there's just no way there's just no way you're present even Nick Cannon right you're not present because when you look at the guys right there's just no way because to me some of the best fathers out there right now are I don't know I don't want to just say they're the best fathers because they're with the mother of their children but I think there is something to be said about someone who is being very intentional about who they're having their children with you know and and trying to make it work within a loving situation and hey if that's not the case I do believe that being able to show your child love and support and consistent presence is still better than just saying, oh, I have a lot of money so I can take care of a kid, you know, because it's not the same. Right. And, or you're going to potentially create a monster who thinks that money is the only thing that matters in the world, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I appreciate you the know, good things new fathers are doing. Yeah. And I think, I think McKinnon, um, probably is trying but I think he could try for some consistency I mean what we've learned in life is consistency is the key you can't tell me um or what's Monaco isn't that the ones with um Mariah Carey you talk about the kids names yeah I think one of them is Monaco but anyway (laughs) I mean you know, they have a totally different experience than someone whose mom is just a, an influencer. I mean, exactly. your mom is Mariah Carey. Their experience, their perspective, who's raising them is completely different than, you know, someone else. And so I don't think Nick Cannon is, 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 is able to spread himself that thin and really give of himself in the way because what we just we just went through how what we love about this new father and one of the things is that you're you know one of the things that i think we need to keep and take from our fathers and their generation is they showed up they were consistent we just talked about how they brought us to school and you know i mean yeah they did do some things that were batshit crazy over the years but they showed up for us and that's one thing like for all that other stuff I think that's why we turned out the way we did because they did teach us how to you know don't quit that's one thing my dad never let go don't quit you know I'm saying like if at first you don't succeed try try again my dad was like whatever you do don't quit and some days I will bang my head against the wall and I know I got that from my dad but I'm like oh I'm gonna get through because I'm not giving up and so it's like there's parts of me that have made me win and I want that to continue Nick you can't be there every day you you know those moments there was something about just like writing for 40 minutes every day listening to him talk to me about life stuff that 
made me better. And you got to really be there for that. You not just pay someone to be there. So, yep. Yep. hundred percent. So, so yeah, I think overall newer dads are, are definitely on a great track and there are likely going to be a lot of children who are going to be, I think they're going to grow into adulthood with so much more confidence and, um, like self-assurance, you know, because they not only knew their parents, but they really had an opportunity to have a relationship and, mm-hmm. you know, they felt, they feel supported and protected. So, so kudos to the, to the new fathers. Um, but mm-hmm. what is something that you would change about relationships that black fathers have specifically with their daughters? Um, critiquing anything physical. Fair. Only adding kind, loving compliments. You look good, baby. That's the style you want it, Rocket. But, (laughs) you know, Black fathers can be hypercritical. I don't know about you, but if I go home with a new hairstyle or if my makeup isn't on point or if anything is off, my dad is going to observe and speak on it. And I'm just like, shut shut up. Girl, let me tell you, I FaceTime my parents. I don't know what that was for, for my birthday. And so I got this red hair, right? And my dad was like, so the next time I talked to them, my dad was like, are you going to wear that new hair when you go to, you know, to when you move for your job? I'm like, yes. And he's like, OK. And I'm just like, it's not a big deal. Like there will be people there with purple hair. Like I literally mm-hmm. just have a hair color that's similar to when I was a little kid. Like it, it's not even like it's completely unnatural for you know a fellow negro right there are some people walking around with this hair color naturally but to <laughs> him it's like that's a dramatic change on you are you willing to present yourself in the world like that every day and particularly in professional settings and it's like yes i am so i definitely feel like i agree there's the there's that hypocritical angle i i can identify with that yeah and you know like my goddaughter recently was um really ups- like was saying something she was talking about like her mom we were on the phone and the clay were in the car and she's like oh mom gets out the car and she didn't put her cover up over her leggings what does that and mean i'm like so what and she's like well dad says i should never wear my leggings without a long shirt you know, see, see right the things you ingrain in your girls exactly like just let that go like chill out with that so so that that is my only thing i'm just like let's not comment on what a woman what your daughter your niece your sister hair or body looks like yeah i definitely can agree with that um for me it's more so you know, not making your daughter feel like there are going to be separate rules and regulations for her. As much as society will likely function that way, 
I, I just didn't feel that there was any empowerment in getting different treatment from home, you know, and feeling like, oh, you can do things or you cannot do things because you are a girl and you will have to wait longer or you will not be able to do them at all, right? But your brother, a male, he can do things differently. And kind of feeling like the message in general was just like, well, this is just the way of the world. Like, don't feed into the unfair stereotypes and ways of of the world and society by introducing them to your daughters before they can even leave home. Because... For some people, hey, for some women, just like, unfortunately, you know, was it your niece you just said? Like, it gets ingrained in them, and now they're talking to their friends about that shit at school and in college, and it's like, I don't subscribe to that. I don't care, you know, but right. it, it drives, um, I hate to say it, right, but it, it, it drives this misogynistic society where, or a society where everything's about the patriarchal gaze, like, oh, well, men think you should do X, Y, and Z as a woman. So I'm going to do it. It's like, no, like, if I want to do what I want to do as a woman, you know, tell me about the, the precautions and mention the pitfalls and make sure I'm safe. But don't just say, well, you can't do it because you're a woman or you shouldn't show up that way because you're a woman and really hold your sons accountable hold your male friends and your family members accountable, right? Yes. And, and be somebody who drives for a society that doesn't require girls to have an entirely different set of rules from boys. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like I kind of hopped on the soapbox with that one. So and rant. <laughs> um, no, but yes, it's, it's a thousand percent. And, and, you know, I think it starts at home and you're right. 100% right I mean there's so many mm -hmm. girls where it's like where do you get this shit from and it's very clear they got it from their daddy and I'm like gosh like don't get me wrong I feel like in a lot of cases my daddy taught me shit where I'm just like not abiding by it but you see where there are plenty of girls women right who learn stuff from their dad and they are very willing to take it out into the world and, and kind of see the world through that those glasses so so yeah but all right, so last question. So how can we start to vocalize what might be perceived as daddy issues and, you know, kind of make them show up more like daddy lessons? You know, I think, again, we talk about people that, including ourselves, right, that might make the wrong decisions in relationships. But, you know, how do we, you know, show up more like Beyonce and say, my daddy warned me about men like you. He said, baby girl, he's playing you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for quoting the queen perfectly there. Um, I think that is such a great question because, um, because how do we transform, right? We don't want to be yeah, stuck right? in, We're this, at that point. Yeah. in this place, you know, and to be honest, you know, here's the best part is I think you can move past. It's interesting that you, you talked about this today i'm glad we didn't record this podcast six years ago because at that yeah. time <laughs> i had not healed from my toxic and my, my past and my trauma true yeah 
But today I can have this conversation with an atoll from a totally different perspective because, you know, I think the first thing we do to transform from daddy issues to daddy lessons is work on ourselves. Ooh, you know, you, word. Can't, you can't control, you can't control your dad. We can't control them. We can love them. We can, you know, accept them for being human beings. We can take them off of pedestals. There's a lot of things we can do to reframe the idea that we somehow got distorted along the way. And Mm -hmm. then we can work through the trauma and we can spend some time with ourselves thinking about, you know, maybe how did it impact me when my dad said he didn't like my haircut? Or how did I really feel? You know, finally I had to say, you know, at what point are you going to let him keep silencing you? You know, at what point mm-hmm. are you going to take back your voice? And so you start with yourself and I think it spreads from there. And then I really think that in order to shift it from daddy issues to daddy lessons is not to focus on the positive, but to focus on the opportunities because, you know, it is Father's Day. Right. And I can't help but mm-hmm. think about the things that my dad actually taught me. My dad taught me how to drive. Now, that might seem silly, but I've been driving now for what? 20-something, 30 years. Like, I'm grateful for that. My dad taught me how to drive on the highway, on the back roads, on the country roads. He was like, baby, you got to know how to drive on every road, any type of road. You got to know how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like, that's something that... I can own. So yes, did I did, did we have our struggles with communication? Absolutely. But there were some opportunities in my life and some experiences with my father where I was able to communicate with him, where we were in sync. You know what I'm saying? My dad and I, there have been some moments where we've been so in sync and um, that we just, we don't even have to communicate in words. And so I think it's about reframing some of those experiences. And I think we all have those because once we accept our fathers for being human beings, then we can give them a little more room and grace because that's all we want. And then maybe some of the stuff that we'd look at and say, well, you know, he did try to keep my daddy put me on punishment one time for six months. You know, in the beginning, that really Baby. pissed me off. <laughs> Ooh, girl, my daddy put me on punishment for a whole summer. <laughs> Ooh. And I was a good damn kid. Right. Smart and everything. He put me on punishment for six months. Oh my gosh. But what you couldn't do for six months? Be, you know what it was? Is that, and, and that, I, re, I learned two lessons as an adult from this. Okay. Once I decided to get healed past that trauma, because it really pissed me off. The first thing is, I wasted his money. That summer, he had paid <laughs> for me to go to all these expensive ass <laughs> basketball camps. Oh, <laughs> And I didn't go. He got me up every day to run a mile. He, My dad thought I was going to be, he just knew. I mean, and you know, I'm dating myself here, but he wanted me to be Lisa Leslie, baby. Right, you know, he was he going to the W. I was about to be going to the NBA. <laughs> and I didn't even try for the basketball team. I got scared. It was too many black girls. That's my first time at a black school. I got very nervous. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> another topic for another day, child. So, you know, I have, that really is another topic for another day. But either way, he put me on punishment for six months. And then, but the first thing is I wasted his money because if I wasn't serious about it, I should have said that earlier in the summer before he paid all them thousands of dollars for me to go to every best. I mean, my daddy drove me from Fort Lauderdale to Indiana for a one-week basketball camp. He was Girl. serious. He believed in me, you know? And then the second thing is that I think... 
which is what I learned later on. He really does want, he, it is his intention to communicate with me. He just doesn't know how, and he's going, it's going to take him his, that's on his own journey. But I think it bothered him that I didn't feel comfortable enough to tell him that I didn't want to try out. Gotcha. Okay. And he had tried to have such an open communication. So it's like, once you get past those things, you can start to reframe some of those experiences. I'm not saying I won't take away from the things that were traumatic. I'm not implying that. But there are some things that maybe I just thought they were very strict, you know, for the time. Or they were, you know, like it was a lot. But then as an adult looking back, I'm like, okay, that did teach me a little structure. And I still use that skill today in my current nice. job, which is how I make my living. So that that's my hope is that we can all do the self-work that we need to heal. And then um, hopefully if the experiences are something that don't cause you pain or trauma that you can you can reframe and repurpose in your mind um for maybe uh, from 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 not a, from a child's perspective yes such a good answer um i 100 percent agree that you have to work on yourself first and acknowledge where the daddy issues quote unquote right may have impacted your day-to-day so that you can find a way to turn them into lessons. And I also agree, you know, generational differences are real. So where our parents might have felt like they were communicating, our dads especially, might have thought they were communicating efficiently because who knows what type of communication they were getting from their fathers a generation before. Exactly. And the generation before that, I mean, we know we very quickly run into slavery as African-Americans. So... Mm-hmm. You know, we are, again, fortunate and privileged to even have the opportunity to know and communicate with our fathers day to day. But it's still a struggle for, you know, black men and for black families to have really good, strong, transparent communication. So it's like once you recognize, all right, how can I work on myself to not get so upset when I'm not communicating so great with my father or to you know, try to revisit the conversation quickly or to get over things quickly, right? And not let Mm -hmm. a a minor um, quarrel or disagreement turn into months of not communicating, right? I think those are huge. How do you set boundaries with your father? Mm -hmm. You know, hey, dad, that topic is off limits. You know, this is where we fuss and cuss. (laughs) so let's not even go there it doesn't benefit you it doesn't benefit me you know 100% yes so you know how how do we do that so there, there there's a lot of opportunities for us to heal from the daddy issues and I think you know as we grow and I'm glad we talked this out today because you know I do think the next lesson is daddy lessons right like how do we go if 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 we're damned if we do if we're damned if we don't right if it's gonna happen either way you know how do we help the girls behind us who right, are interacting yeah. with their father to be more you know to be open and how do we help their fathers you know there's always a conversation to keep going because here we are in the middle because there's somebody ahead of us but then there's some kids behind us right and they could probably use our support right yep yep and it's just about being able to take the moments that you had and and really transform them into 
ways of operating that are not toxic or detrimental or that don't repeat a bad cycle, right? Like, again, um, you know, we, we talk about not wanting fathers to comment on, on their girls in certain ways or put them in situations where they are perpetuating, you know, misogynistic patterns and habits. It's like, how do we take the lessons away and say, all right, I'm going to champion for girls, you know, to have rights and to have, you know, more freedoms or more autonomy in the future. Um, you know, I, and also let's be clear. Some of the lessons were really good. I always remember one of my favorite quotes from my dad is your attitude determines your altitude. And right. And I feel like in, in some moments, Sure, it could have been seen as, oh, my dad's giving me a hard time and trying to say I have a bad attitude. And you could grow up and have a grudge about that and be like, well, I'm just me. You know, my daddy always said I had a bad attitude and that's just who I am. Instead of doing that, you can take that as a lesson throughout your life and say, okay, I want to show up honestly in a in a higher space, right? And in an elevated way. Mm -hmm. So I know that I need to bring a specific attitude to the table to do that. And I honestly, I'll speak for myself. Like, I feel like that has been such a, a huge help for me in life. Like when people are like, oh, you just have a great attitude and a winning attitude and always positive and always optimistic, right? Those, those accolades that they give you at work and when you're doing things with teams and all that. But those, that is something that was ingrained from day one, right? You having a good attitude. Right. It's not just about like, don't be a nasty bitch. Right. It wasn't, it didn't right. come off like that. It was, Hey, like this is a lesson to learn to take with you through life. So, you know, again, right. I think working on yourself, um, acknowledging where communication is a, a generational thing that you will probably continue to have to work at. And, truly like taking the nuggets right in the good moments and the the quotes and the and the the actual lessons that were given to you over time and moving forward with them like it will allow you to move from a space where there are issues and just more into hey these were lessons or these are moments and now as an adult I can do something productive you know with all of my experiences and you know again you know our disclaimer is we can't speak for people that didn't grow up with their dads but I mean I don't know it feels awkward to say it but there still are obviously lessons that can be learned in that space right absolutely absolutely and you know I think like one of the things that um I've and this is just from one particular experience in my life so I can't speak to say that I'm not saying this is for every experience I would never I would never generalize that but um you know, for someone in my life who struggled with not knowing who their father was, you know, eventually they just had to kind of ground themselves in, it doesn't matter, I have a community, I have a chosen family. Mm -hmm. And I think for a long time they felt very um, not grounded you know like because there's like you know for all the crap i talk like nobody's taking my name from me i mean right. I, if i get married you're hyphening that she didn't even know where her <laughs> name came from right yeah 
there's and, you there's know, a grounding in knowing to, for sure yeah yeah she always wanted to get married that was her thing i want to get married because if i get married then i can have a name that's mine you know and eventually she just had to you know and it wasn't easy and there was a lot of embarrassing moments and, and they weren't embarrassing to me they were embarrassing for her in them you know but we always were there and um and you know i think now she has a chosen family and i don't think i would ever look at her and feel like she's she feels like she's lacking in any way right yeah yeah right i mean my my childhood best friend that I grew up with, you know, I, I, lo I love how she has, whether it's been formal or not, it feels like she has found a way to turn anything that might have been seen as, as an issue into a lesson or at least not something that's burdening her, right? Because she's married now mm -hmm. and has two kids. Um, she actually put out an article through a mom's group that she's a part of that talks about how she did have to work through kind of the the jealousy right that she had around her daughters having a relationship with their father her husband and and how he was a great father or is a great father um mm -hmm. how he's a great father to the girls and I think again that takes working on yourself acknowledging your experiences you know versus other people's and and taking lessons from it instead of versus um, living in, uh, I guess, a space of victimhood or um, animosity yeah. or resentment your whole life. So, so yeah, I think no matter um, the relationship or status you have with your father, um, and let's be clear, right? You know, people's fathers pass away. You know, so that's that is something that people are dealing with. Um, I think ultimately, there's just still ways to take whatever level of relationship you had with your father, if there was one, um, and, and charter a positive, you know, experience in life. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We can, before we wrap up, my dad, um, always would, quote his favorite poem and my favorite line and he he had to quote this when he was online pledging alpha at alabama a m university and there was just one little piece of that and it always makes me think about it we were telling your dad's quote it made me think about my dad's quote but the my favorite part is this, it's if by rudyard kipling if you can keep your head when those when all the when all, those all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and make allowances for their doubting too and i have spent so much of my career and my life in my 20s and my 30s really living through that because so many times like that is the most valuable lesson my father could have given me because you know there are going to be times when nobody is on your side when nobody believes you and it's not about having haters or whatever it's just the way life sometimes is set up and mm -hmm. so i'm grateful for that lesson and i'm glad i got to talk about daddy issues and daddy lessons it ended up in this full circle conversation so right. i appreciate you having me and uh, i want to wish all the fathers a happy birthday yes yes right that's what i was gonna say as well happy father's day 
um, to all the fathers out there, you know, those that are very confident in their fatherhood and their walk, um, those that are new to it, and, you know, those that are kind of coming into their confidence with it because, you know, I think that is something else that a newer generation is facing. Like, back in the day, you could have all these kids and nobody would know and there was no social media to expose it. Um, and you. these days, it's like you need to get on board with, you know, your seed or social media might, you know, force you to. So, you know, uh, love and light, you know, to all the fathers out there. And and I think the wish is that everybody is in their children's lives in a, a meaningful and positively impactful way. So. So keep, keep, keep on keeping on fathers. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, just keep showing up and doing your best. And at some point it'll all be, it'll all work itself out. And I, I I'm a witness to that. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so yes. And I, I definitely appreciate you coming on and, and chatting about this with me and you know how Thank it you. goes before you go, we have to do jukebox with Jack. Yes. So this week, (laughs) breaking news, bitches. Beyonce is back. Okay. She will be dropping a new album, Act One Renaissance, on July 29th. So, in preparation for Return of the Queen, what are. We are are so ready. We're so ready, right? She's got these mystery boxes for sale on Beyonce.com. Go ahead and get you a box, $39.99 plus tax. I will be getting myself one. I'm behind because I already because I haven't already purchased one. So, anyways, in honor of the return, what are your top three Beyonce songs? Okay, so third is going to be can I do Beyonce and Destiny's Show? Sure. Okay. I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. Okay. That's number three. That has been my mantra for years. Okay. Did you get... I, <laughs> it's a little lower on my list, but okay. I'm not going to hate on you, uh, loving survivor. <laughs> this okay. A, this is Thank a safe you. space. Thank you. <laughs> I thought so. Okay. Number two... <laughs> Is going to be the song where she's on the Not roller the song. coaster. Where? What song is that? Um, EXO. At- yes. Okay. That's number two. Okay. Number one, for hands down, will always be "Love on Top." Okay. Okay. A, certainly a different taste in in Beyonce than me, <laughs> but uh, you know, still a this list. This feels real. This is dripping and judgy. <laughs> okay, I mean, well, here, here's my top three. Okay, number three, mm-hmm. girls who run this mother. Yeah. Um, okay, I would give. I would put that in like top ten. Okay. Yes. Number three for me, um, because it's one of those songs where I can't listen to it once. 
it's a song I play when I need to be motivated, when I need to concentrate. So, you know, it's great for work projects. It's great for workouts, you know, when I need to feel a boost. So I love it. Um, and number two, I care. Uh, great. Mm. Baby, I care. Okay, I like that one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great when I'm in a singing mood. Lots of runs mm-hmm. there, lots of emotion, you know, like you can really feel like you're going through some shit when you listen to I Care. And right. for sure. number one for me, without a doubt, Get Me Bodied. It has been a number one party song for many, many years. I remember when I lived in Dallas, when we was at Beamers slash Park Ave, when they played Get Me Bodied, we knew that the party was it about was to go to it the was, other side. Yes. Right. We was about to like so, get into the night. So, so, yes, those are my top three. I actually, so Get Me Bodied is definitely one of my top videos of all times. Like it. It's amazing. Yes. It's just, it's just it's top for sure. But, like to this day, I'm still in love with the lead dancer from Get Me Body. He was so fine when he did his thumbs like this. Get me body. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I have never crushed on somebody for that long. But like, oh, he, yeah. Him. Mm-hmm. I would say in an honorable mention, if I may, um, it would be Six Inch Heels. Um, it is a deep cut. I would say by by all definitions, it is not a song that was a single or got any sort of radio play, but Six Inch Heels, she walks in a club like nobody's business. Come on now. That's I'm a, I'm a jam. that again. Yes, it is on Lemonade. Um, and Okay. Yeah, and I think a lot of the Lemonade songs were definitely decorated in, you know, pain and uh coming out on the other side of the pain and six inch heels was actually a song about you know a a girl or a woman owning it you know as she comes through the door like she is a star it's a song she has with the weekend and yeah i love it love it (laughs) all right i'm gonna listen to that one now i will say my honorable mention for sure is brown skin girl oh yeah tearjerker right there brown skin girl is this like literally soothed my five-year-old's heart like my five-year-old self's heart i mm. listen to that all the time i love it i love when little black girls listen to it and they're singing it like i think that that song will change black women in such a powerful and strong way and so like that definitely is one of my honorable mentions for sure yeah i will say it took months for me to listen to that song and not cry like i am a person that likes to sing along and i just i couldn't make it through the song singing along (laughs) without crying like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh like it was it was to this day probably wouldn't make it through so yeah another good one okay so i i have the whole um 
movie is just too much for me. It's too visually stimulating. Everything is so she looks so beautiful in that movie, and it was so black. It was so yes, it was oh like gosh. black excellence. Like it makes me want to move to Ghana and just be the queen that I am. You know what right. I'm saying? Like yes. and oh that that whole visual was just so cool. But um Beyonce is just great. I am so excited. I'm going to buy my box. Uh, for thirty nine ninety nine. That's right. Get it to it. <laughs> Get it to it. Okay. I've spent forty dollars on words this week. Okay, please don't get me started. Okay, I am too ready to spend money on something that I know is not going to disappoint me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So because Beyonce never disappoints. Right. She just she's a queen. I'm so excited. Yes. So shout out to to B. Thanks for giving us a little bit of a heads up, sis. You know, and not just you know springing it on us, giving us some a chance to collect our coins and to gather ourselves to you know clutch our pearls and hold on tight to our wigs. We we appreciate mm-hmm. that. So, but again, we Ju- do. right, we do. July twenty ninth, you hoes better be in in information um you better have your concert ticket money by then um reactivate your title i know i sure know i need to you know do what needs to i be definitely done. need to i need to reactivate my title i will need to have some money allocated towards my beyonce ticket because i'm going right wherever it is whatever's happening i will be there I'm going. so so yeah so enough standing for one night um but again Mm -hmm. i appreciate you coming back you know chatting with me it's always my pleasure yeah as i am a little less frequent in my transition but i will be making my big move very soon so i'll be uh, back on a weekly basis bitches but but yeah again happy father's day (laughs) <laughs> to all the happy dads out there a uh, happy juneteenth to all of my beautiful happy colors juneteenth. um especially our texas colors you know you made it and mm-hmm. uh, what else is there something else this week oh well in general you know happy pride you know uh it is still happy june pride. um have you seen a little video where the, the dude gives his friend the gifts because he's because it's pride and because he's gay he's like i got you yes. a cake with a rainbow because you gay i got you these skittles <laughs> i got you a balloon be who you are you for know, your pride so, <laughs> my sister you know every summer like when school gets out she does her hair in the colorful like way like she always oh, does yeah. all these colors and last week she calls me and she's like I got my hair in a rainbow just for you. Happy Pride, B. I was like, I got this for you. Be who you are for your pride. I got this rainbow for you because it's gay, like just, you. Just for you. I was like, I feel so much pleasure, honor. All right. Again. I really appreciate you coming on. I hope you you, have a great weekend, great rest of the month. And I'll talk to you later.
and that wraps up another episode Diane thank you so much for coming back on and having such a great conversation around fathers and our relationships with our fathers and how we can turn issues into lessons I hope everybody got a little bit of a word today because you were bringing it um I appreciate you all for listening it's it's a great season guys happy pride happy father's day happy juneteenth go out and enjoy yourselves happy summer and thanks for listening and remember i'm a jack of all trades a master of none not here to be an expert just here to have fun bye guys <laughs>